Hey, spooky people, Megan here. Before we get to today's episode, I want to ask you for a favor. Like many podcasts, we are an independent production and are working hard to grow our audience. If you're enjoying the show, you can help us by taking a few seconds of your time to hit that subscribe or follow button and by leaving us a rating. As always, thanks for listening. And now on to the episode. If you Google online, Pete, you know, that same kind of phenomena, right? People say like in a dark room, I had hallucinations. Turns out that's a really common thing for children to have. Yeah. But we've never, but like, I never knew that. And I bet a lot of people who claim to have had weird experiences with ghosts or whatever also don't know how common those sorts of mild, you know, um, non, non deleterious hallucinations are. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, I just, I really just think that our brains are weirder than we think they are and we never talk about it. I'm Paige. And I'm Megan. And this is Spooky Science Sisters. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hello, you are listening to episode 20 of Spooky Science Sisters, a podcast where we present to you a science-based and probably very giggly discussion on all things strange and unusual. This week, we are joined by a special guest, Dr. Chris Cogswell. Chris has a PhD in chemical engineering. He is the chair of Skyhub Science Advisory Board, which will be our main topic today. And he is the host of the Mad Scientist podcast. Chris, would you like to say hi and tell our listeners a little bit about your interests and background? Yeah. Hello, listeners. So, um, yeah. So like you said, I am the host of the Mad Scientist podcast. My show focuses on... um, we're kind of like sister shows in a way. So we, we have, you know, we are. We want, yeah, it's so exciting. Like we wanted to look at these topics from the scientific angle. And for me, that interest really started through um, through my philosophy kind of degree and then independent research I did while I was an undergraduate at the University of New Hampshire and kind of continued when I was a grad student really bored on Wikipedia looking up, you know, UFO encounters or whatever in the XRD room (laughs) at Northeastern (laughs) University. So our show tries to look at these things in a comedic light. We try not to take ourselves or the topics too seriously, but we also try to make sure that we're always aware and always respectful of the fact that, you know, these are real people. And in some ways, if they're whether or not they're reporting things that really happened to them, they're still, you know, worth listening to because in some ways it might be more interesting if every UFO report was just, you know, people misunderstanding what they see around them. Like that's almost a weirder thing, right? It's yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> so yeah. So that's kind of the show. So we release, uh, we release weekly. We've been going for a long time now. We're on our fifth season 
And uh, if you haven't listened to us yet, please check us out. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. And I've listened to a bunch of episodes and, and we, we, we tend to find like a similar theme when we're doing our show that a lot of times, like there've been several topics where we'll go into it thinking like, oh, this is like really spooky. And the stories that people tell are really spooky. And then it's like the real life explanation between behind like why they might be telling that story (laughs) is significantly more terrifying. Like the boogeyman episode, I was like, very uncomfortable. Yeah, that one messed me up. (laughs) (laughs) And we like just talked about like sleep paralysis a week ago. And I was like, no. (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny. I, I remember the f- I actually I feel like I remember the first time that ever happened to me and maybe this is just myself like myth you know mythologizing my childhood now that I look back at it but sure. I had a book I still have the book actually it's literally the pages are falling out of the binding but it was called mysteries or it is called mysteries of the unexplained I'm looking at a copy of it right now <laughs> and it was published by like Reader's Digest and my mom my mom used to just like come home with books for me you know, which was awesome. And, and really, yeah. I'm so thankful that I had that kind of upbringing with her. And a lot of the times the books would be on, you know, like weird subjects or whatever, because I'm sure she was getting them as a single mom. I'm sure she was getting them at like, you know, the dollar bin at Barnes and Noble or whatever. <laughs> and so this book in it, the scariest section to me always when I was a kid was the section on like demonic possession. Like I thought those oh, were yeah. so freaking scary. And I'll never forget the first time I like, you know, so, you know, read this book and scared the crap out of myself as a kid. And then I, um, and then we got a computer with the internet or we got the internet, I guess. Um, and got on there. And the first thing I did was go on to like paranormal forums and whatever. And then reading about, you know, how many of those exorcism cases were just like people that were sick. You know yeah. what I mean? Or, oh, or, like, yeah. or, or, or women that were like, you know, I have an idea. And then their church leader was like, she's a witch. Oh, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. those were, <laughs> so I, I remember that like the first case was, um, it's not even really that famous of a case, but it was just this, um, this girl who was said to be possessed in like Brazil or something. And then they found out that she was like, you know, um, she was like, like, yeah, like you're saying, just having like sleep paralysis p- episodes, essentially. Yeah. Um, which again, maybe that's scarier because like <laughs> that can happen to anybody. You know, yeah, like, right. you don't even have to make a deal with a demon to be sleep paralyzed. <laughs> it can just happen to you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what we've learned. Um, and yeah, so we talked about it with respect to people mistaking sleep paralysis episodes for like. Um, thinking that they've been abducted in the middle of the night. So we're like on theme for a couple weeks in a row here. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I definitely went through a period when I was younger, uh, when I was like in grade school, where I was like checking out a bunch of books on um, alien encounters and stuff from the library. <laughs> and I got one and it was like, obviously not written for children because I like got to one of the chapters and this was when I was like nine years old and one of the chapters was about like someone having some sort of like sexual encounter with like an alien who came down like into the bedroom and I was like mom I don't think I should have this book (laughs) 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 so she was like yeah we'll we'll take that back to the library (laughs) so my poor little brain um anyway uh, we're super excited to have you on today. I think uh, maybe 
you got in touch with us or vice versa like pretty early on when we were starting the podcast because like you said it's exciting to see somebody who does something quite similar and yeah one thing that I wanted to mention about your podcast as I was just listening to the episode where you interviewed Brian Regal oh yeah sure yeah so we're gonna be talking to him next month March? I don't know. It's like in the future. Things are scheduled so far now. Um, <laughs> but I really liked the part where you guys talked about how you had like bets going with people about certain paranormal things. Like you said oh, that yeah. you had some like bet out there that you'll pay, you know, a psychic or like you'll you'll promote a psychic as like actually being psychic if they can figure out the code word that you and your wife have for if one of you like becomes a ghost, yeah, <laughs> let the other one know, <laughs> which I think is awesome. Um, and Paige, I think we're gonna have to like think of code words for each other. Oh uh, yeah, so we can let each other know. Definitely. <laughs> you know, it's funny with that. The first, I think the first, the first person I ever heard of doing that was Houdini. Um, yeah, who is like you know obviously I think for a lot of us interested in this stuff, Houdini is like you know, the great debunker, right? Like he was yeah. awesome in, and yeah, him and his wife had a, had a code word because they were so into seances and stuff. Mm-hmm. My wife and I have a code word. We've also had cases and yeah, so far no one has even come close to guessing it <laughs> um, in any way, shape or form. We also, it's actually funny. I used to do a, I used to be on a radio show called spaced out radio with a friend of mine, Dave Scott. And on that show, like I was, you know, it was kind of weird. It was so we, we would do these science sections where Dave is like super. He really believes in a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. believes himself to be an experiencer. Then it was me who I was supposed to be kind of like the good skeptic or like the happy skeptic. And then we had this <laughs> other guy, Chris George Zuger, who was like, you know, the the devil skeptic. Like he was so <laughs> mean and just all. But what's funny is that. Chris Zuger has had like he believes he's an ab or not an abductee, but he believes he's an experiencer of wow. UFO events. So it's like you know, I was like the good cop, but I don't know my bad cop was you know a week from retirement, ready <laughs> ready to blow. But um, <laughs> but even on that show, we had one of the questions one week was you know uh, we just had a psychic on who's really good at remote viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say to that? And on, you know, I was like, I'll give her $500 if she can remote view the drawing I'm making right now. It doesn't have to be right now. I'll just have the drawing and, you know, she has to try and guess it. Um, mm-hmm. Still still not guessed. It's weird. They never try to prove themselves. It's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird that way. <laughs> well, there's an explanation for that. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe there is. You know, my my wife, my wife, actually, she doesn't have it anymore because we sold the car she had that had this in there. Uh But my so we we live um, and when I was in grad school, we lived in Medford, Mass. And we're currently still in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. But we're like only 30 minutes, you know, really like maybe 40 minutes now where we are um, from Salem. Oh, nice. Salem is great because it's this awesome city with so much history and everything else. And of course there's all this, you know, horror movie kind of stuff there all the time. And we went one summer with my mom just to kind of visit for the day, get lunch, whatever. And my mom loves psychics and like tarot cards and all that kind of stuff. She's always (laughs) loved it. And so her and my wife went in, this was when we were still engaged 
they both went into a psychic where my mom was like, let's, we'll pretend, Katie, I'm going to be like your mother and you be my daughter and we'll see what the psychic says. And the psychic, the psychic told my wife that she would meet a handsome gentleman at work finally and that all of her marital problems would be over. So I'm still, I'm still waiting for that. We'll see what happens. <laughs> That's pretty hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we were supposed to do a trip to Salem this past fall, but obviously that got p- postponed. So fingers crossed for fall 2021. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh my goodness. If you go to if you go to Salem, let me know. I'll have to. I, I have to take you guys out for uh, for beer and burgers someplace. That would be so that would be great. Awesome. Yeah, it's so cool. Oh my That'd god, be I love so Salem. Exciting. Um. Okay, so yes, we could we could just like chit chat about random stuff forever, but we'll <laughs> actually talk about what we're supposed to talk about today. Um, okay, so Paige, do you want to go first? Did anything spooky happen to you this week? Uh, nope, nothing. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it comes in waves. I mean, right now, uh-huh. right now, nothing's going on. It's been pretty quiet around here, so I have nothing yeah. to report. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) What about you, Megan? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think I typed in our notes. Literally nothing. (laughs) 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 So this podcast has probably made us more skeptical. So now we're like, just nothing is spooky anymore. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, No, but generally, I've just been enjoying uh the political events that have happened in the past week <laughs> and uh truly enjoying watching um how genuinely happy Dr. Fauci seems to be. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like a, it's pretty wonderful. <laughs> He's like a kid with a new bike. He's I so know. happy. I know, it's so cute. Okay, anyway. <laughs> All righty. So Chris, did anything spooky happen to you? recently that you would want to share <laughs> uh no not you know yeah spooky stuff just i don't know my aura is wrong or my chakras are all messed up my spooky <laughs> stuff just never it like never happens to me well i guess i've had like a couple of spooky things but as i get older they happen less and less frequently so i don't yeah. know nah, not, nothing really spooky i guess <laughs> um just yeah hanging out hanging out enjoying life hey that's yeah. great <laughs> spooky stuff is always happening to me so let me tell you it's not as exciting as it may sound (laughs) (laughs) it's fine it's fine okay so now we can talk about sky hub yay Yay. (laughs) uh so like Paige mentioned Chris is the chair of a program called Sky Hub uh, of their Science Advisory Board. So, Chris, would can you give us like the the elevator pitch for what what is Sky Hub? <laughs> Sky Hub is a citizen science effort made to uh, analyze objects, birds, planes, whatever in the skies above us. So, we utilize a uh, Jetson Nano as the main computer. Uh, piece to this unit that then connects over to a camera currently we're using a fisheye camera and then we have actually built uh, freely available software which will take the video from that camera turn on recording when a object comes into frame and then um, we're currently building the capabilities of analyzing those objects for different applications 
The most interesting application, I think, for most people listening to this show probably is going to be uh, identifying objects in the skies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what we're hoping to do essentially is if you have a unit like this out there on on your home or you know, on your patio or whatever, it can uh, it'll constantly be viewing the sky. It will begin recording and then analyzing when an object comes into frame. And then if that object conforms to sort of a standard set of data that we've taught it about things like say a bird or an airplane or an insect or whatever, that video will then get siloed and categorized as one of those objects. The goal being that if we see things that don't look like normal things, right? So if it's like a drone or if it's a UFO or if it's whatever, um, we'll be left with a much better set of data from which to start those sorts of investigations. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah, excited about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. So you said, yeah, identifying objects and, and obviously, you know, a lot of what I've seen <laughs> sort of the, the aspect that we're also interested in is like, potentially you guys could catch like UFOs on there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, it's, it's interesting. So an idea like this has sort of existed in the UFO community for a while. There's mm -hmm. kind of been thoughts about doing something like this. The problem with that or the the issue, I guess, with those efforts, not that there's really, you know, there are units that kind of can do some of that before mm -hmm. that are out there, but they're mostly video capture um, units. They don't actually analyze anything. Okay. Um, because frankly, the programming prowess wasn't there both in the people trying to do this stuff in like the late 2000s, um, early 2010s, but also just literally, you know, these are, these are engineers trying to put this stuff together, not necessarily software programmers who are expert in machine learning and things like that. So mm -hmm. our team is really fortunate in that we have on it people who are really well-versed in these areas of programming, of machine um, object detection, of machine learning. Um, so we're really fortunate to have those folks on board who are able to help us with this. So, mm -hmm. um, and the goal ultimately is, you know, in my mind, this is what my role or one of my roles as the chair of the science advisory board is, is not just to, because, you know, the thing with the UFO community is that you're, they're kind of going to be on board regardless of what you do. You know, like it's really hard to lose the UFO community. If you're if you're just out there being like, I'm going to look for UFOs, they're like, I'm with you. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's really hard to lose them. Um, yeah. It's the scientific community that we really have to kind of work with and try to get interested in stuff like this because right. the history of the UFO subject in science is not very good um, because the scientists that have get involved or have gotten involved have either been chased out or mm – -hmm. um, the scientists who stick around tend not to be uh, tend not always to be the most scrupulous, I guess is the, the kindest way to say that. Sure. Um, so one of the big challenges is, or not really a challenge, but one of the big opportunities I think for us is the use of this sort of system for other things besides just looking for UFOs. Like that's going to be the cool thing that the public is interested in, but there's going to be a section of people who we hope will want to use these things for like, uh, satellite tracking or mm -hmm. tracking of drones above their facilities or mm -hmm. bird watching or um, 
just tracking the night sky. Like there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with a camera that has kind of pre-built within it a machine learning capability that allows it to detect objects and then categorize them. So that's really what our big, um, I guess, you know, in, in my wildest dreams of how this project <laughs> could be successful or not, you know, I would love, of course, if we capture something weird on these cameras and, you know, we can go and show it off and be like, look, this is crazy. What is this? But I'd also be really thrilled if, you know, an amateur astronomy group purchased one of these and, or built one, I should say, not really purchased, but built one using our help and, you know, used it for stargazing or um, someone doing a study of like bird migrations um, set up some units, right? Like that, that'd be so yeah. cool. And there's so yeah, much that potential cool. there for it. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I want to set one up. <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. This interview has been wildly successful. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to talk about that at the end. I have some questions about, um, yeah, about setting up the, the rigs because I definitely, well, Paige, I'm sure you're not surprised. I presented this idea to my husband, Steve, who's very into building computers and, you know, is always like itching to be able to build something new like that. And he was like, he was very excited about this idea. Nice. There so. we go. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. I so mean, if you get the nerds in, then it's like, all right, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was maybe having a similar conversation with Elliot prior to us getting on to record. I mean, we don't have a place to like awesome. put anything right now, but in the future. Yeah, you guys would have to wait till you have Oh, my, my unit currently, <laughs> it's funny, actually, I just... I just purchased a Wi-Fi uh, connector sort of thing nice. to put on there so that I can put it outside finally. Um, but currently the only thing that my, you know, other people's units are out there like on their homes getting actual cool video of stuff. And mine is in my uh, office right now getting pictures of my cat occasionally. You know, so it's like, <laughs> you know, thank God it's not on production mode yet. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, um, so correct me if I'm wrong. Skyhub is pretty new, right? Like the last couple of years. Skyhub was within the last couple of months. Months. Okay. Um, oh, wow. okay. Yeah. So we've, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's really new. So, so the project initially started. So again, like I've said, there have been other attempts to do stuff like this before. And so the Skyhub team actually kind of came together originally on another similar project that wasn't going to be open source and then that that you know there was some disagreement internally and whatever and so then this other this team broke apart and the folks who came together founded skyhub to kind of continue the stuff they were thinking about in that other group gotcha mm -hmm. so and that happened maybe about a year and a half ago at the most maybe a little bit longer than that maybe two years ago um but i came on board um this last summer officially okay gotcha yeah, and I guess what was your like? Yeah, other than because you've you've been in like some similar positions, but um, like how did you meet up with these people or get connected with them? Yeah, so I got connected with them actually through. Um, th so my involvement in the UFO community has kind of started out from the podcast, mm -hmm. and from the beginning, I. I've always felt from the time when I was a kid that if there's any relevancy or reality to any of these kind of scary stories, you know, we scare ourselves with, 
that the UFO story to me was always the most compelling one mm-hmm. because I knew people who had had experiences mm-hmm. and also because it it's not that far of a stretch outside of what we think of as say normal science today. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we, if you ask the vast majority of scientists, if they think there's a possibility that intelligent life exists out there in the universe besides us, the vast majority of them will say yes. Um, that is wildly different than it was say 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. And as our ability to kind of scan the skies and understand them and even travel the skies as our ability to do that gets better and better. I suspect that we're going to eventually come to an answer to that question. Um, And I think it's going to be quite again, regardless of if it's true or not, I think it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. And so for me, um, I got involved in this stuff because I was doing the podcast. I was sort of, thinking and writing about the UFO community and, you know, scientific um, science communication and engaging sort of non-traditional communities in science. And by non-traditional communities, I mean, like, literally, I mean, like, people who believe in conspiracy theories. Yeah. People (laughs) who, like, people who, like, believe they've been abducted by UFOs. Um, Not that they're in the same, not that those two are even in the same category, but, you know, that's often what the public thinks of. Yeah. it's, It's kind of unfair, right? Because... A lot of the people who claim to, have, you know, if you ever speak to somebody who really feels like they've had an abduction experience, it's really easy to tell the difference between someone who genuinely, I think, has been affected by an experience and someone who's uh-huh. just looking for attention or whatever. Sure. And not just because the people who have had a real experience are often like crying to you, <laughs> you know, like it's really, it's, it's <laughs> they're like, terrified. It's like, well, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're legitimately terrified. It's a real thing to them. Mm-hmm. So um, so I was doing this show and someone, someone I'm friends with basically was like, you know, why don't you, why don't you actually put your money where your out, your mouth is? Like, if you want to try to talk and engage with these communities, just go talk and engage with these communities. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I was like, oh, that's weird. I guess I'm, well, now I've been called out. I guess I have to. <laughs> so I, um, and so actually I reached out to, I reached out to some local UFO groups and people did did radio shows and whatever, and was, um, was really welcomed into their community pretty warmly. And then I started saying that I didn't believe some cases and my warm welcome quickly soured, Oh no! <laughs> but, but that's okay. You know, that's, yeah. it's, you, you have to expect that, you know, but yeah. it has led to some really cool things, including, um, including being able to engage with, you know, engage with the people at Skyhub and also engage with, again, people who hold beliefs that maybe I don't hold, but who I think genuinely believe them and who I think are, again, um, worth hearing and listening to. Because, you know, that's the other part of this. And I could answer mm-hmm. this question for like the rest of the night. So just stop me when you need me to stop <laughs> answering this question. You're um, fine. There's always been a disconnect between sort of academia and the public. Mm-hmm. And we often think about that disconnect or that that disparity in terms of like, you know, it's educational, it's economic, it's social, it's all these other things. But since the like 60s, it's also been a change in like legitimate worldview and facts about the world. Mm. And we just thought I think I think most people in power 
politicians and uh, academics and and whoever people with kind of economic control on on the population believed for a long time that those conspiracy beliefs, those non-traditional beliefs, those the distrust of science and expertise. I think for a long time they thought that that was just sort of a fringe community that didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And that isn't true. It's never been true. Mm-hmm. It's always the mob with pitchforks. That, <laughs> you know, but really though, right? It's always yeah. the public with their superstitions and their, um, you know, non-bourgeois thinking, right? That, that <laughs> change really the way that the world happens. Yeah. And we've, and we've, we've kind of like learned that lesson in American history and then unlearned it over and over again. And I think this is a period in time where we're kind of relearning it again and being like, well, maybe we should have been, maybe we shouldn't have just been saying all these UFO people are crazy. Maybe we should have been listening to them or like, you know, maybe we should have been engaging with crazy uncle Ted who thinks that the lizard people control the NWO. And, <laughs> right. Cause like, cause now <laughs> uncle Ted, uncle Ted is a Senator. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. It oh God. <laughs> um, so it's, it's really kind of a, to me, it's, it's more important than just kind of being interested in UFOs and getting involved in it. Like it's, it's literally about, you can talk to people on common ground. You have to you have to meet people where they live. You have to meet people where they actually mm-hmm. are on subjects. And a large portion of the public, they're only like a good example of this is is Ancient Aliens. I hate that show with a passion. <laughs> but Ancient Aliens is like the only interaction most people have with archaeology in their entire lives. Yeah. That's, that's like true. what archaeology is. You know, and it's the same thing with science. Most people who ever interact with science, like in the public, they're thinking scientists are like Neil deGrasse Tyson calling people stupid. That's not that's <laughs> not true. You yeah. Know? And it creates a um, of course, it breeds distrust because, you know, the stuff people are hearing about science or the scientists people know of um, aren't aren't trustworthy and aren't really listening to them and are creating straw men about them and Mm -hmm. all these other things. So it's, you know, if you have to pick between, um, you know, some fancy guy with a title who's, you know, yelling about whatever on TV or, you know, your local, uh, your local pastor who is there with you every day. And, you know, she, she gives you good advice. Who are you going to listen to the person in your community? Yeah. Well, anyways, they asked me via email to get oh, okay. involved with Skyhub. <laughs> <laughs> That's the short version. Yeah, it's the answer. It's the answer. <laughs> um, so we have to ask, though, have you personally seen a UFO? Or do we? I, I feel like now it's like it's 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 um. You're not supposed to call them UFOs. You're supposed to call them UAPs, but I don't know. <laughs> oh my god, the, the UFO UAP thing is so, oh. so. Yeah, um, I have seen things in the sky that I can't explain. Uh huh. But I have not. But I don't know if they're you. Like I don't know if they're aliens and ships. Yeah. Right. 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 Like like I could you know I can't tell the difference between like a blue jay and a you know in a cardinal most yeah. days, right? Like, <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> what, what I would say is, so I, when I was a kid, I had, um, and I actually still have really 
vivid. So, okay. I, um, I have obsessive compulsive disorder and that has been kind of exacerbated by, you know, anxiety and, and whatever and all this other garbage. But mm-hmm. so, um, when I was a kid and even now today, I think a lot of the symptoms of my anxiety come through in really, really bad nightmares and also just sort of like, you know, like I can recall dreams every morning. I'm, you know, like I, I very, I dream every night. I have very vivid dreams and I recall them really easily. Um, usually. And when I was a kid, those dreams tended to be of the scary variety. Mm -hmm. And so I think, so when I, when I finally kind of got up the courage to, so one of the dreams I remember was very scary was I was in my, I was in my parents' bedroom at night. I wasn't supposed to be in there. I was watching cable and eating like a tin of popcorn, like those holiday tins. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great <laughs> night right there. It's a great night, right? So I was, I was watching something I'm sure that was too scary that I wasn't supposed to be up at, you know, to watch. And, um, I remember like, I remember the next thing I remember is there being a glowing green light in the, in the bathroom hallway. So Mm -hmm. the bedroom, the bed looked towards the wall, but on that same wall where the TV was, there was a entrance way to the hallway and the bathroom was like to the right of the hallway. So Mm -hmm. I remember seeing in the doorway, a green glowing light that kind of shone in. Mm -hmm. And then I don't remember anything else. I remember waking (laughs) up and when I told my mom about this, she was like, oh, yeah, you, you you were probably just having, like, another fever dream like you used to have. Yeah. Like, you were just having a nightmare, you know? And I told her this when I was, like, 10, and I was like, Dora, I think I saw an alien. And she's like, you're a moron. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, she didn't say it that way, but, you know, like, but I, I often think to myself, though, had my mom been someone who believed in UFOs, she might have been like, oh, my God, you were abducted, too. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Like it's, yeah. It's, totally. it's like not it's not a it's not a far gap between me having a show where I talk about, you know, the science of this stuff versus me having a show where I'm talking about, you know, my experiences as the next, you know, alien messiah. So, <laughs> you know, I often um so I guess what I'll say is any of the scary experiences I've had in my life, I tend to think were caused by or at least exacerbated by anxiety. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think actually that's probably true of the vast majority of people who claim to have had experiences. Like we, yeah. one thing we talk about on the show a lot, and it's something that I, I try to bring up every time I talk to somebody who said they've had an experience is we never as like a, a society talk about the way other people think, like literally mm-hmm. functionally how you cognate. Mm-hmm. You know, so like when you think of like the bouncing red ball, what is happening in your brain? Like, like what is happening in your mind? So like Paige, you go first. You're thinking of a bouncing red ball. What are you what are you thinking? <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm just looking at the ball and thinking about how it's bouncing. <laughs> OK, OK, OK. So. So that's that's one answer. Okay, Megan. There's not much you? going on up there. Is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I guess I would picture like one of those like super ball, bouncy ball kind of things, just bouncing up and down from the floor. Okay, like you had when you were a kid. Okay, now you're both thinking, and not you're you're probably not hearing anything. Maybe you're hearing bouncing. 
Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But you're both describing like a mental image that you Mm -hmm. have. When I think of the bouncing red ball, my brain, like I say in my head, the bouncing red ball, I have a hard time visualizing what that would look like in my own mind's eye. Okay. Yeah, like That's, I can definitely like see an image of like a yeah right. in my mind of a like I, red yeah ball. like I can make myself see an image if I if I really kind of like sit and think about it. But when I have thoughts in my head, even in the day, like you know, oh, it's a nice day outside today. I'm like saying that to myself in my head because I am a dangerously insane individual. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but like that's but that's what I'm saying. We don't. Yeah. Um, that is a very simple thought we just described, uh-huh. and. The three of us had fairly dis- different versions of that together. Right. You know? Yeah. Now think of something even more complicated, <laughs> right? A, a scary event where you're on edge already in the middle of the night where you're probably just waking up from a dream. Mm-hmm. Of course people would have different ways of thinking. You know, it's not it, – when you think of it that way, it's not that – crazy to think that there would be people who maybe have a common way of thinking together mm-hmm. but some people who have kind of an odd way of thinking about the world or or cognating who yeah. have events like this happen that then they can't explain like it's you know to me um part of the problem is people assume like another another example from when i was a kid i when i was a kid i grew up in new york city So I never like when I went to bed at night, it was like still really like you could read by the light from the street lamps. You know what I mean? Like in my bedroom, like it never got dark in my house, really. (laughs) And so when I would go to my cousin's house in New Jersey, where they lived like on a hill kind of in a wooded area where it really did get like pitch black at night, that was freaking terrifying to me. Yeah. And when when you're sitting in a dark room and you haven't been in a dark room really before, your eyes do all kinds of weird things. Yeah. You know, um, you get sunspots or kind of, you know, uh, that fuzz you get when you rub your eyes or whatever. Right. Right. If you Google online, you know, that same kind of phenomena. Right. People say, like, in a dark room, I had hallucinations. Turns out that's a really common thing for children to have. Yeah. But we've never, but like, I never knew that. And I bet a lot of people who claim to have had weird experiences with ghosts or whatever also don't know how common those sorts of mild, you know, um, non, non deleterious hallucinations are. Yeah. Right. So, (laughs) yeah. So, you know, I just, I really just think that our brains are weirder than we think they are and we never talk about it. So people see ghosts. Yeah, although to our credit, I think like frequently on this show we've talked about like, hey, your brain is really freaky and weird. Well, so. you have you have to. Right? Well, that's the thing. Right. It's, yeah. If you're gonna talk about this stuff, like you have to talk about it because it is, you know, just most people are like, if you if they're like, well, I saw, I think I saw a ghost, and you're like, well, maybe you imagined it. Yeah. Most people's first thing is gonna be like, well, no, that's I'm not crazy. Like I didn't like right. Yeah. Ghost. And right. It's like, you don't have to be crazy. Your brain yeah. just is, you know. Everyone yeah. does that. <laughs> Your yeah. brain is just normal. Then. Yeah. Well, it's like when we were talking about um, the abduction stuff, it's like people actually, uh, whether or not it actually happened to them, they believe that it's real. Like they have right. actual, um, in some cases, 
PTSD-like responses to hearing the stories about it. So, yeah, so it's pretty intense for people. But, yeah, your brain is really weird. Yeah. (laughs) It's a common theme. And I think think it's also a, a surprise of, like, doing this podcast was, I think, going into it, I didn't realize how much of it would be like just talking about weird psychological stuff that happens inside your mind to like make people think that yeah they're seeing ghosts or being abducted by aliens or demons or possessing them or whatever is happening so yeah it's a uh, it's weird <laughs> i think the the beauty though about doing that or i guess the important thing about doing that is when you do get to a case that really you have a really hard time explaining Mm-hmm. It's even more interesting then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done, we've talked about abductions on our show a lot and done those episodes and sort of, you know, poo pooed a lot of them. And, you know, not really poo pooed because, again, like you're saying, <laughs> these are people who had like world changing, you know, nightmare inducing experiences. Um, it's not really funny for them. But then we had, like, we had to, we had a, someone come on the show. His name is Kyle and he came on the show and told us about his experience where like as a kid at night, he would relatively frequently wake up in like the woods behind his house and the, okay. and the door would be locked and his parents would yell at him like he had escaped from his room. Oh man. You know? And he was like, I just, I didn't like, I was put here. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Like that is that is interesting uh-huh. out outside. And again, of course there's always the chance, you know, whether this guy's just lying to you, whatever. Yeah. Maybe, but you know, um, but why, why, <laughs> you know, he, he <laughs> didn't get, he, he, we didn't use his real name. Um, he has never come out in public about this. Yeah. He only contacted the show because he went through like someone who is a counselor for people who have had experiences like this. Yeah. Um, like, you know, he's, he's not like making a money on a book deal or something. Right. Um, he's just a normal <laughs> guy who was like, this terrifying thing happens to me sometimes and I don't know why. And I don't know if it's real or not, but like, but what the hell? <laughs> you yeah. Know? That, that's yeah. compelling. To me. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Okay. So, I guess, well, since we're sort of on this already um, and the, you know, whole UFO alien abduction thing, uh, one thing that I did before we get back to some of the Skyhub questions, um, one thing I did want to do because <laughs> because I got very worked up about watching that um, documentary, The Phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think that's when I reached out to you uh, on Twitter to be like, what do you think about this? <laughs> <It's> very <laughs> um, But yeah, just to get like your opinion on some of the current stuff going on or like the current high profile UFO sightings. And I think you had said, because we had done an episode on, on UFOs before and we didn't talk about... Um, we just talk about a lot of the older stuff. We focused more on the recent stuff that had been going on with them releasing the Navy videos and everything. Mm-hmm. And I can't speak for Paige, but I'm like pretty like I've 
little to no doubt that there are everyday explanations for those. So I'm very interested to like hear your take, especially because there's more of that stuff sort of being released all the time and people pushing for it. And yeah, (laughs) I would agree. I, I left that episode feeling pretty certain that there was some sort of everyday explanation to the Navy videos. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, well, okay. It's hard with the Navy videos, with the, anytime you have like the Navy videos is such, it's so far out of the realm of what we as everyday people experience. Like I have never flown an airplane. (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> you, know, you know like i've never been in a i don't even think i've been within you know 200 feet of a fighter jet right um you know one time in boy scouts as a kid i slept over on a navy cruiser um you know like the it's so far out of the realm of everyday experience that it's it's sort of hard to just come out and be like well that was obviously you know a bird or whatever right? yeah that's that's I think that's probably too um that's a little too presumptuous, I guess. Yeah. Because Well, yeah, and fair enough. Like I do definitely agree that like that was definitely a sticking point that we had where it was like, okay, sure, like you can go in here and and like McWest has, you know, rec- recreated videos that look very right. similar to the footage that was taken and done the trigonometry or whatever to calculate, you know, how yeah, far the, the these things actually were and how they could and, be moving. Yeah. Right. But yeah, I think I, I definitely did come back to the fact that like, wouldn't these guys know what those things look like? Right. Like, why would they get worked up about it? Yeah. The other, the other thing <laughs> to consider too, is that how often really does the average say Navy personnel ever encounter something like a, a drone in the sky or yeah. uh, or an enemy aircraft even, you know? Yeah. Like most people I know who were in the Navy or are in the Navy talk about it like, it, you know, mostly, like most of the time talking to people who are in the Army, it's mostly doldrum. Like you mostly just hang out and wait for stuff to happen or be or to be told <laughs> to do stuff. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, it's, so it's kind of like, you know, I think there's a couple different things going on here. I think mm-hmm. – on the one hand, it is sort of presumptuous of us to assume that we would know better than these people who have been trained to do this. On the yeah. other hand, this is a rare occurrence even for them. This mm-hmm. is probably the first right. time they've ever seen something like this in the sky. Um, you know, for for all the people on that ship, frankly, mm-hmm. you know, outside of maybe some who served. Um, you know, we haven't had like a naval warfare encounter in forever, you know. So I, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of like a... You know, to me, it's not that crazy to think that there would be, um, you know, they could be making, they could be mistaken as well. I do think, though, at the same time that, um, you know, the math that Mick puts out there is is compelling. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. hard to it's hard to kind of go away from that. But at the same time, though, I think, you know, the the problem with math applied after the fact is. The difference of one degree of angle for an object that far away changes like, you know, hypersonic speed from, you know, bird speed, right? Like that's the problem with trigonometry when you're talking about like kilometers away from something. (laughs) It's, you know, it's, it's not like a huge change. So 
I think, um, I think frankly, on a case like that, you just sort of have to say like, well, we don't know, you know, like we don't, yeah. cause we, we can't yeah. know, we don't know. And I, yeah. I do think though that, you know, the problem with a lot of this is there's a lot of extraneous stuff to the Navy video and to kind of the rollout of those videos in the New York mm-hmm. times and everything else that do make me suspicious of other parts of it, I guess I'll say, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, for example, like it's no coincidence that. So have you, have either of you seen the documentary um, surviving death yet? No, no, that's relatively okay. new and it's on Netflix. That's maybe? from the same reporter who wrote the New York times article. Oh, because oh, that's her beat. That. Her, her, <laughs> she's on the spooky beat. Like she wrote a book about <laughs> life after death. And she has worked with Robert Bigelow, like her entire, you know, not her entire career, but a big portion of their career together. Yeah. And so now when Bigelow comes out after surviving death comes out on Netflix and is like, by the way, I'll give you $500,000 if you can prove ghosts are real. That's not a coincidence. Oh, uh, okay. Um, Did he say that recently? Yeah. Yeah. He said it like yesterday <laughs> oh, or the day before. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's like not. So it's the, it's the same thing with these sorts of, you know, the UFO community is interesting. People think that the conspiracy has been um, the military, right? Has been hiding these secrets and whatever. In my mm-hmm. mind, the conspiracy is that it's like the same four to five people making money off of this or something. I can't even say making money, wasting money on this story <laughs> for the last yeah. like 30 years. Yeah. You know, yeah. really, it has been. Every mm-hmm. major story has been linked to these people. Bob Lazar, mm-hmm. uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Um, yeah. You know, now the kind of consciousness stuff to the Stars Academy. Like it's all like the <laughs> same seven people. <laughs> it's crazy right. yeah yeah how many times do you get to swing at the pinata and miss before someone takes the stick away <laughs> you know like really yeah right yeah well and i think that um well here we're gonna skip around again sorry Paige. um no, <laughs> i think too though that um like bringing up bigelow and like to the stars academy and all that stuff and like i think that sort of differentiates or or sky hub is is quite different from or at least i see it as quite different from some of these other organizations because they're you know funded by these like huge private enterprises and like well people people presumably with their own biases and stuff we're like more like a citizen science project i guess like yeah (laughs) and i mean to to chris's point earlier like the the point of sky hub isn't to prove or disprove ufos really yeah it's like i mean if they find them great but like it's not like your whole goal is to go out there and show everyone that aliens are visiting right like it's also about the, yeah, like the technology and the data processing behind it which is yeah we're not, really we're not neat. just like you know with any good scientific <laughs> project right like you don't or engineering project frankly you don't put all your eggs in one basket you don't spend yeah. you know five years in a lab working on one <laughs> experiment that then could fail magically you know like <laughs> oh i guess that guess that guess i'm not getting my phd <laughs> right? like, you, you know you don't do that like you you have other applications in mind you have other things that you can yeah. do and other ways to do this um the other one of the other big things with skyhub and one of the reasons why i wanted to be involved in it frankly is because everything we're trying to be as transparent as possible right like the source code 
for the system is online right now. Mm -hmm. like you could go download the source code and play with it. All of the data as it gets collected is going to be made into a format where the public can download it and see it and use it as they would like to. Like mm -hmm. we're trying really hard to be as open with this stuff as we possibly can be because otherwise, like you said, it's, you know, it might as well be one of those other projects that kind of, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, hasn't been as open, let's say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which not, not to put words in your mouth because yeah, I have no idea like what your <laughs> relationship is with any of those people, but like the stuff that we've looked at, like a lot of it seems quite problematic. <laughs> um, <laughs> or uh, yeah, there's a lot of it that seems problematic. And I think um, I definitely wanted to, yeah, just reiterate that, that it's so nice that, that Skyhub is so open because you can go, you know, you can go on there and you can read about Chris and you can read about the other founders and yeah, you can like look at everything involved and look at how to put together the rig and you guys have stuff up on there about, you know, data that's been collected thus far and everything. Um, so I guess one other question I wanted to ask was like, you were at MUFON for some time. So in like the, <laughs> so MUFON's kind of a funny one for us because I think we initially looked into it some or Paige looked into it some and they had a lot of stuff behind like a paywall, which was discouraging. Mm -hmm. Um, and <laughs> yeah, like is any, yeah, like, and, and, you know, I also know why you left obviously, which is like, <laughs> it's sort of a bad thing in the UFO community that <laughs> freaks me out a little bit. Um, but, but yeah, like what was like, were your plans there? Like, cause you were in a similar position. So like, were your plans sort of to, to change some of the same things or, or pursue similar things to what Skyhub has ended up being or yeah like how much influence have you had and sort of how they're implementing this the science behind it sure so um so for those that don't know so as part of my sorry to bring up painful memories no but... no you're so you're, you are you are all good no no reason all. oh my god no, it's fine. Um, so uh so part of part of me putting again kind of my money where my mouth was and, and getting involved in these communities was frankly trying to engage with what at the time I thought was the, you know, most, um, the most viable sort of UFO community out there, which was MUFON. Yeah. And so for those that don't know, MUFON stands for the Mutual UFO Network. Um, I had a tremendous amount, like, I, it turns out a lot of MUFON is its own hype, you know, okay. like MUFON is sort of like, not to throw shade, but like kind of like flavor flav, I think in a way where like a lot of <laughs> like flavor flav is like not a particularly like skilled rapper or musician really. It seems like, but is just like the loudest person in the room. That's like, yo, it's, you know, like hype man, right? Like yeah, Mufon right. is sort of its own hype man. And so you hear these stories or you watch these TV shows where it's like, you know, Oh, the MUFON investigators went to the house and they did a thorough sweep of the area and whatever. And it right. turns out that like those MUFON investigators are like three dudes who took a $20 online course with <laughs> flashlights and like Polaroid cameras. 
You know right. I mean? Who like just who just ate at a Cracker Barrel? Like it's not it's not you know we're not. And and again, no hate at all to the actual investigators because they're they're spending their own damn money and time to do this right. for an organization that does not care about them at all. Yeah. Um, but so Mufon, it turns out like it's it's like a maybe at at the absolute height of its power in the 2010s. Um was like a thousand members big. Okay. <laughs> like there, there are more people in, um, there are probably more people in the mad scientist podcast fan club than there are current <laughs> MUFON members. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, I, I was thinking it was much larger than that. Yeah. No, it is exceptionally small. Um, they are complete. They have been in the red for years and years and years. Wow. Um, the only thing MUFON really exists today to do is to create stuff to sell to the history channel and <laughs> um, to hold a conference every year so that they can pay mm-hmm. the, the, the one kind of paid position they have in the organization. Yeah. Um, and then there are chapters which are varying levels of run, you know, of kind of managed yeah. um, depending on the state itself and the people that are there. And those people are really doing the work of what MUFON was supposed to do. Yeah. So, okay. When I came on board, my goal was to first off try my best to build a sort of better, more robust science education core for yeah. MUFON members. You know, yeah, gotcha. like I'll, I'll never forget the first MUFON meeting I ever went to. There was a guy there who claimed that because crop circles were circular and so were orbitals in atomic structure that aliens were talking to us in quantum mechanics. Oh no. Oh yeah. Complete. <laughs> right. Like it makes no sense. You're probably sitting there like, what have I got? I was ready into? to, <laughs> I, I was ready to rip my chair apart. Like I was so angry and it was yeah. so stupid. And there were people there, like nice people who had been kind to me. who were like, Oh my God, we're so excited to have you here. You know, um, who were just eating it up. You know, mm-hmm. um, I remember too, there was one time where there was a guy giving a talk on like reptiles or you know reptilians or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, some said something like, you know, the president is controlled or whatever. And then an old lady whispered to another one next to her. She was like, Obama. And I remember oh, being no. like, good God, like, come on, <laughs> come on. Um, it's so it's like, you know, it, it really does. It, and then, though, there are chapters that are like all PhDs or former engineers yeah. or just or just people who are like really, really dedicated to investigating. Right. Like you right. don't need a PhD to be doing science, um, you know. And, and so there are some states that are run like really, really well. Other states that are run not so well. Um, and so that was kind of the goal was to create a, a basically like almost an FAQ where we could say like, hey, if you have or not even FAQ, but like create a board where if a person investigating a case had a science question that they wanted answered, they could come to us and get answered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the first thing. One yeah. of the other things we were working on was something like a big data analytics project where we would take yeah. all of the MUFON cases that had been collected over the last, you know, 40 years and feed them through, um, just do like, you know, start with basic statistics and then try to get more advanced from there. Right. The problem with that is 
you know, imagine trying to do a statistical survey where the survey is given differently every single time. Oh, yeah. Um, the data is entered differently by different people every mm -hmm. single time. And a lot of the questions are things like, how far away do you think the object was? Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it's, it, it's an impossibility to do any kind of good statistical analysis on that. So yeah, that were kind of the, the goals of what I was hoping to do. And then um, eventually within MUFON, I, kind of grew consistently concerned about some of the like ufology has a right wing bend to it generally. Right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that bend becomes a problem. Like not, it's not a bend. It's not just like, Oh, the people that are like into UFOs tend to be former military. So they tend to be conservative. It's like, the mm -hmm. people in the UFOs are like really excited to be going to the Capitol to like overthrow the government. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it, it, it edges from like, <laughs> it edges from like, you know, okay, fine. haha, Yeah. You're conservative. I'm liberal. We're different to like, yeah. this guy is like a, you know, this guy is like building pipe bombs. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's like what freaks me out about some of the UFO community stuff is like, yeah, there's definitely that sort of, I don't know, subsect of it. That's like, you guys are a little, there's always, <laughs> there's always been that. What's interesting. If you kind of look at the history of conspiracy theories and the history of fringe kind of pseudoscience, right. It mm -hmm. always ebbs and flows that way where yeah, in the sixties, a lot of the UFO sort of cult like behavior focused on, you know, like Scientology and free love communes and you know all that kind of stuff, right? And so more <laughs> yeah. more of like a liberal bend. And then sure. today it's taken on more of a conservative anti-government um bend. Right. And I think that probably when this fever breaks, we'll be back to the other side. But part of that actually is because of ufology has sort of become very religious in its yeah. Um, and it's following. And I don't mean that as like people are into UFOs with like a religious devotion. I mean, like people believe the Vatican is hiding an alien. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people, people believe that like aliens are angels and. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Right. So it's, it's interesting how these kind of conspiracy theories intermingle with something that at the end of the day, mm -hmm. I tend to think might have something interesting really happening with it. Right. Like yeah. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think there was a chance that we'd capture a UFO on camera. Right. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you have to be open to and cognizant of the crap. <laughs> right. so, so eventually, so why, why I ended up leaving MUFON was because um, it turned out that someone who had been mired in extreme controversy about very racist views yeah um was still a really big important part of a huge swath of the community on the east coast of the united states and yeah. so um i basically said to the leadership team like listen i'm i'm gonna quit unless this person is kicked out once and for all yeah and they were yeah. like well <laughs> guess Guess we'll we won't have science then. Bye. <laughs> and that, yeah, and yeah. So, so I quit. We don't I mean, mean science. Yeah, so I quit. And then um Yeah. And it's interesting because when I joined the group, the part of the reason why I joined the group was because 
MUFON was already in a really bad position. They had lost a lot of members. They had lost a lot of their best people. Mm -hmm. And they, the way that it was kind of described to me was essentially, you know, we really need new blood. We need new ideas. Yeah. And then to go in there and find out that like, well, actually, no, the money is still in the bad old ideas. Okay, cool. Well, that's great. And then, um, and now, you know, just even more and more scandal continues to happen. The Mm -hmm. head of MUFON was found to be uh, was was caught in a child uh, sex sting. Oh, like no. it just it's all yeah. It just it's never good. It's yeah. never good. And so it's <laughs> like you just yeah. I cannot say enough for listeners. Do not join MUFON. <laughs> do, not, do not do it. The lanyard is not worth it. I promise. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I'm like glad that when we talked about it, we were sort of like they sort of sound like they want to be scientific on their website, but like. Well, not really. Not really. <laughs> we didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. The challenge is that, again, like there was a person at the History Channel who actually when he passed away recently, a lot of the people who were like in the UFO community were mourning this person's passing. And I mean, I'm sure he was a good friend and it's always yeah. sad when someone dies. But yeah. that guy was like responsible for, you know, ancient aliens and all of the other crap about aliens that got its way onto the on the history channel essentially and um yeah and he was sort of like the direct pipeline between you know mufon to like the history channel you know yeah so mm-hmm. it's sort of huh. one of those things where although at the the ultimate failure of mufon i think was trying to be entertainment while talking about mm-hmm. science yeah. And yeah. that also, I think, is a failure of a lot of UFO organizations. And it, it never mm-hmm. goes it never goes well because science isn't entertaining. <laughs> you know, like, like it's a lot of <laughs> yeah. work and a lot of Excel charts and origin lab and write like it's a lot of writing. It's just it's yeah. not always that interesting. Right. Yeah. I think like if people had to watch a show where it was as much as like I would love to <laughs> see somebody do it, if people had to watch a show of like an actually scientific approach to like I don't know looking for ghosts or like you know trying to find aliens or Bigfoot or whatever, they'd be like, "This is the it most would not get good ratings. You know, it would be canceled immediately, <laughs> right?" Like you know the the Big Bang Theory where Sheldon just hits run on his Linux machine as it compiles to see what two atoms do when they get near each other. That's a lot less interesting. And the big bang yeah. theory is just hot garbage, but um, <laughs> we agree Jesus on that. Christ. Thank God you said that. <laughs> We're no, going to have to end no. the interview right um, now. <laughs> no, no, terrible, terrible show. Which is the worst, but, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it, it is, it's not, it's not always entertaining. And so it becomes this, it becomes this yeah. play between, you know, well, how do you get good, like, you know, with Skyhub, like we've done a lot of interviews about Skyhub now. And yeah. I think that interviewers, especially if we're if they're more of the UFO kind of bend or haven't done science themselves before, are like, well, what are you guys working on mm-hmm. right now? Like, what's the craziest piece of data you've got? And I'm like, you know, well, we still haven't calibrated yeah. anything. So, like, we don't have any data. And they're like, mm, we're not going to. OK, we're not going to book you again. You know, like they, they want me to come on and say, like, you know, we got a telepathic message from Zardon. You know, like, that's not how it works. 
Yeah, what's the the Betty and Barney Zeta Reticuli or something like yeah, that? Yeah, Zeta Reticuli. What theirs is? <laughs> there are a couple of videos though posted on the um on the Sky Hub website though, right? Of like of that are denoted as like UAPs or something like that. Yeah. Currently, I guess the way that we're trying to do the Skyhub development is we're trying to do things in a phased mm-hmm. approach, right? Like any good kind of project management style tries. So yeah. the first phase was getting all of the components to talk to each other and work together. That has been successful. The second phase mm-hmm. was getting automatic object detection, recording, and upload to be to occur. That has been successful. Yeah. That is what those are the videos that are you're seeing on the website. So there are currently about okay. a dozen Skyhub units out there in the world. They all uh-huh. are constantly viewing the sky and they are when an when an object appears in view, they are recording that encounter and then uploading it into the cloud. Okay. The next step is the sort of data analytics step, which is taking that video converting the data within the video into you know metrics by which we can do a statistical analysis of what an airplane looks like a bird looks like etc yeah and then the actual siloing so okay the first three stages are complete and those are kind of the i guess the first two stages i think is how i whatever the first sections of project work are complete you know the good news about an open source project like this is we're able to pull from a lot of the really great work other people have already done with things like, you know, optical flow mm-hmm. and object detection and stuff like that. So yeah, a lot of that technology already kind of exists out there. A lot of that code is out there. It's just a matter of us making it work for our purposes. So that's really the stage that we're at now is, is that. Gotcha. So, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of, I guess, if you think about our deliverables or what we think mm-hmm. we've hit already, what we consider to be the the minimum viable product from Skyhub, which is something that'll take automatic upload of video of objects in the sky above your home. Yeah. Right? That has already been completed. Now the next step is getting a more robust machine learning model in, implemented, um, adding other sensor data and trying other applications. So that's really where we're at now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so cool. Like just importantly, we bring up things like, MUFON and To the Stars and all this stuff and Bigelow and everything because like I see Skyhub as so different and like it's just it's just so fun to hear somebody talk about like <laughs> like actually scientifically valid <laughs> ways of approaching right. all of this. <laughs> Has anyone else really taken this approach? Because it doesn't seem like it. I mean, everyone kind of claims to. So um, this project... So if you look at kind of the literature on what this field that we're kind of playing in is called, it goes by a couple of different names, but the one I've seen, I guess the most, the most often now in the literature is, is space surveillance or, okay. you know, near earth, near earth object detection and tracking. So in the sixties and seventies, the United States developed what were known as Baker Nun cameras. And these were, Kind of like really early Skyhub units where, okay. but they were only, what they essentially did was they would take images of the sky at a set shutter speed and they had a telescope on there as well. And so at night they would take, um, they would take shots of the sky 
with a you know short shutter speed, but a long, oh my goodness, what's the word now? The exposure, right? Yeah. And then based on the trail of objects moving, they would estimate speed, distance, etc., and basically create a map of the sky of all of the satellites in Earth's orbit. The mm-hmm. goal being that if NASA wanted to launch a satellite or a, a rocket or whatever, they didn't want it to yeah. collide with anything, and we had no way of knowing what was out there. Right. The government then sort of stopped caring about that because we like stopped yeah. going to space. Um, yeah. <laughs> and frankly, too, GPS location and sort of radio technology got so robust and good that it no longer became mm-hmm. it no longer was required to track objects in the sky with with a camera, right? Because you yeah. could just you could just know where something was based on its based on the signal right Mm -hmm. recently though like last 10 years it has become a bigger thing of interest and actually the united states space force just uh one of their big first projects is going to be essentially trying to do something like a sky hub but for (laughs) for defense purposes Right, because you can imagine. Yeah. You guys should just get that sweet, sweet defense contract yeah. money. <laughs> I know, right? I wish. Um, if, but like seriously, if you can imagine, you know, you can buy a drone from Walmart for like you know a hundred bucks. You throw a camera yeah. on that thing and you fly it over a military base. Like, yeah, you could find out mad stuff you're not supposed to know. You know what I mean? Probably. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, right. It is definitely something of kind of national security concern. I think that they're they're considering or, or really thinking about seriously. So, right. Um, in terms of so okay, so that's kind of like the the uh, the the kind of professional world, I guess, is what I'll say. From the UFO right. world or kind of the world of the weird, um, <laughs> there have been other attempts to do stuff like this. But again, the original Baker Nun cameras they cost something like two million dollars a camera. Oh. Yeah, crazy, right? Like my <laughs> my Skyhub production unit cost me like five hundred bucks. You know, yeah. Like it's it's and and my thing can do way more than the Baker Nun cameras could do. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, so the difference between sort of the technology and the size and the capabilities of these things has really changed pretty consistently and gotten to be the gotten to the point now where you can build one yourself at home. So. Yeah. A lot of those other efforts kind of had some of the same problems where, you know, units were really expensive or they were really clunky or they they're just like one of the big problems with this is scale. You know, one camera can't monitor the whole sky. So if we really want to do something interesting, you know, you can imagine like you get 20 of these units, you place them all in a given area for pretty Mm -hmm. high geographic coverage and do like an actual mm-hmm. study, right, of, of the sky. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't have been possible with those other efforts because the units were just too big. They're, they're too big and too expensive. Gotcha. Yeah. I was just going to make a silly comment before Paige asked her question. Was that, Chris, if, have you seen, I don't know if you've seen um, the HBO show Silicon Valley. I absolutely have, and I love that show. <laughs> okay, great. Well, I was like, to, <laughs> the thing of like the phase that you're in now, which is like trying to, you know, teach the the machine learning program to identify things like airplanes and, and all these other different things that might be passing through the, the field of view and then allowing it to you know, automatically do that. Uh-huh. I thought of the hot dog, no hot dog. The, yes, hot dog, no. <laughs> it's 
Honestly. Where they get all excited because they think he's going to create the um they think he's going to create the program to automatically identify foods that people eat and then they're all excited cuz it identifies it's a hot dog and, and then they, they no show it off and it's like just not hot. <laughs> it's uh it's pretty Sorry. amazing. Yeah. I, I love um yeah. yeah, I absolutely love that show. Actually, my wife and I will joke with each other. There's a a scene where Jimmy O Yang, who plays um, oh my god, what's his name? Um, Jin Yang, Jin Yang right? yeah, Jin Yang. Um, yeah. Where he calls Eric and he's like, you know, he's like, "Hello, Eric. This is you as an old man. You suck, right?" Or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I'll, 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 I'll call my wife and be like, "Hello, Katie. This is you as an old lady. <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> you suck. So good. You suck. I, like Stephen always says, that's like the real representation of like nerd culture, not Big Bang Theory. Absolutely, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent." Um, yeah, so anyway, I was thinking, like, is everything going to start out as, like, airplane? No airplane. airplane. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to be able to show that stuff isn't a hot dog playing in this guy. Um, honestly. <laughs> there should be some sort of, like, little Easter egg in the code or something. I'll have to, I'll have to talk to <laughs> Tell the team. people it's not like hot dog. You. <laughs> you know what's so funny is, like, I, I am not, like, programming savvy at all. Like, the only type of programming I really know is, like, some really basic C and some Fortran from yeah chemical engineering right like oftentimes i just kind of go in there and i'm like hey guys i think this would be cool and they're like oh god damn it, that would be cool it's gonna take so long to do that <laughs> you know how hard that is and I'm like, well, you know. um yeah it's it's interesting though but anyone who's listening who is a programmer please do check out our git our git repo and help us out if you like if I had any skills in that area, I would offer them to you, but I'm <laughs> I was gonna say I've useless, literally I no skills other than like very basic, um, very basic Python. Right. Skills that's all from I've like got. Years and years ago. So. <laughs> from my physics one class in in my sophomore year that's in college. Where mine are from. <laughs> oh no. Um yeah, no, I have I have nothing. Okay, so I think that brings us sort of to the end, right, Paige? Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, big question here is how can people get involved? And there's a lot of information on your website and um, we've got a couple articles that have some information, but can you give kind of a brief, a brief, I don't know, update or whatever on how, how people can get involved and, and kind of get this going at their place yeah. that they yeah. want? Which obviously you just said you guys need, you know, programmers potentially. But <laughs> Yeah, so if, if people go over to our website at skyhub.org, um, mm-hmm. you can find on the top tab there, there's an option that says contact us. And then there's actually a chat link. We have an ongoing chat on um, Rocket Chat all the time that's with the whole team and people who are part of our community. It's gotten to be like pretty huge now. But mm-hmm. if you want to get involved and talk with us, that's probably the easiest way. Awesome. Another thing you can do, of course, is if you want to build one of these units. So like we said, this is all open source and we're not selling like component parts. We're actually in the process of manufacturing a kind of case for all the stuff. So at least it it is Mm -hmm. in one thing for you. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, essentially you need you need a Jetson Nano. You need a a camera um, that can connect to a Jetson Nano. We have some recommendations for those. And you need like a GPS dongle. And that's that's what you need really to get started on this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as we add more sensors, as we add more pieces to the unit, you know, the kind of list of stuff you can get will change. But the goal here is to build something that's really plug and play that if you, yeah, again, are interested in, in birds, you can you can add on stuff that'll be useful for bird watching instead of it just being for airplanes and stuff like that. So cool. <laughs> yeah, super cool. Yeah. And I think um, that's good to know about the chat because I know I had started to make my husband, Steve, look at, you know, some of the components that were required and everything to build it. And he definitely had some, like you guys had specific, certain specific computer components that were recommended mm-hmm. or required or something that he was thinking like, do I, like, cause we have a ton of these things sitting <laughs> around. So it's like, he was like, well, could I like source in another one or is there like yeah so anyway yeah. so we have we have some specific questions that we'll maybe we'll toss you in that yeah that chat. jump in the chat for sure yeah we are um we're always kind of answering people's questions and stuff and helping them build them it's really like you know like we said it's we're really trying to make this as accessible to people as possible if i could build one yeah i mean i'm sure I'm sure you guys will be able to build them if i was able to build it anyone can build one i <laughs> you know yeah um yeah, it's 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 not super hard. Okay, I think that's pretty much it. Paige, do you want to do wrap-up stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, before we do, though, because I know you kind of already did this, but is there any kind of last-second plugs for your podcast or any other work you're doing right now that you'd like to get in here before we wrap up? Yeah, where can people find you, all that? Sure, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so you can find us on Twitter at MadScientistPod, on Spotify, Spreaker, um, Google Podcasts, all your favorite podcast apps. Our show is called The Mad Scientist Podcast, and um, this season we'll be focusing on times when science has been wrong, which is really exciting. So yeah, it's going to be great. So (laughs) come check us out. So we will be sure to post links to Skyhub and The Mad Scientist Podcast on our website and in the show notes, so that way it's easy for people to find you. All right. Thank you so much. Super exciting. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so <laughs> much for, uh, for joining us. This has been great. Yeah. Anytime you guys want to have us on, please let us know. All right. We definitely will. All right, spooky people. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. One last huge thank you to Chris for joining us this week. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Tune in next time for our discussion on the disappearance of Amelia Earhart. If you like our show, please hit subscribe and share with a friend. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Spooky SciPod, Facebook at Spooky Science Sisters, and at our website, SpookySciencesisters.com. If you have any questions about previous topics, ideas for future episodes, or any spooky stories you'd like us to share, you can email us at SpookySciencesisters at gmail.com. Thanks for your listening and stay spooky. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? 
and was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.